Good morning. Thank you for being here. Hey, um, we're wrapping up a series this morning that we've been in for the last month or so, Back to the Future. And the whole idea is that we're asking the question, with all the back to going on, back to school, back to work, back to all the seasonal stuff, what are some of the things we need to internally get back to in order to move forward into the future? And so I want to start this morning with um, th- this this moment in Matthew chapter 4, one day, Jesus, on the heels of, you know, it's been 30 years of, of really preparation for Jesus' ministry, and on the heels of being tempted in the wilderness by the tempter, by the enemy, after all that, we read, we read a sentence in Matthew chapter 4 uh, from Jesus on the heels of this, and you think, okay, after going through that whole ordeal, what's he going to say? What is going to come out of his mouth? And, and he says this, this sentence that has this word that when you hear it, you're going you're to go, oh my gosh, I, I came on that morning. And just to ease your mind, it's not tithing, okay? It's not, it's not tithing. It's not the giving. But when you hear this word, you just think, I, I wouldn't expect him to go there. And the reason, that you, we'll get to the word in a minute, but the reason that we we hear this word and we're a little jarred by it is because of our definition of it. You know, there are certain words that just have multiple definitions. And this is one of those that we get very limited in our definitions of it. In fact, I was just reading the other day, the Oxford Dictionary, the next version of it, set to come out in 2037. 2037, what word, and there are a lot to choose from, okay, but what word do you suppose is set for the highest number of definitions in that dictionary? I just think through. What's a word that you can think of that would have multiple meanings? All right, nobody knows any words. All right, so uh, it is the word run. Run. And how many definitions would you guess the Oxford Dictionary in 2037 has for run? I actually pre-read it. I got an advanced copy, okay? No, uh, it has 645 different definitions. And you start thinking through the different ways you could use the word run, you could probably get to 10. But they go, no, we're going to get you to 645, okay? 645 different definitions. Well, Jesus doesn't use the word run. He uses a different word that, especially if you grew up in church, this word has all kinds of connotations, all kinds of meanings for you. And as I've run into people, and as I've talked with people, and as I've thought about my own life, it's, it's... A lot of my definitions I find are very limited and very difficult. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. From that time on, Jesus Jesus began to preach, repent. Repent. There's that word, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now, the reason that I bring up this word is because if I could pick one back to, that all those other back to's we've been talking about. You remember a few weeks ago, we talked about um, the idea of getting back to the idea that God is for you. Because many of us, we have a hard time just waking up in the morning going, God, are you opposed to me? Are you for me? When I look around at what's going on in my life, it doesn't feel like you even know I'm here. And so for some of us, we talked about that idea of connecting with Jesus, just coming back to the idea that God is for you, as evidenced by what he did on the cross. And then that next week, we talked about another back to, getting back to walking next to those to our left and our right as a body, 
is the body of Christ. And then there was another back to we talked about last week. Back to looking around you. You know, open, Lord, open my eyes to the brokenness and the needs of the world around me so that I could, I could be used by you in the middle of it. But, but if I could point to one back to that, that really sets the foundation for all of that to take place, I would say it's right where Jesus began his ministry with that word repent. Now, that just, that just does not sound real exciting. I mean, if I'm just being transparent and honest, that's hard to get excited about, isn't it? And, and I would argue that it's because of our definitions that come to mind when we think about that word. Because isn't it true if you've grown up in church, you know, there's, there's a picture of that word or maybe you've got an image in your mind. I remember being downtown Denver when I was in elementary school and we're walking down the street and, you know, street preachers, I, I don't know that I've seen any lately, but have you ever encountered a street preacher, like a 1980s street preacher? I mean, they are screaming, and it is terrifying, and you think, that's my dose of church for the next 10 years. That's all I need. I don't need to go back in, because they're just screaming this word, repent, right? It's terrifying. I remember one night, we were at Armadillo, and a guy came in. He screamed, repent, and he walked out, and I went, what is about to happen in here? Right? So some of us get that kind of an image. Others of us, you get a reminder, don't you? You get a different kind of reminder, Maybe repent isn't so much about what somebody screamed at you, but you're just reminded of maybe every terrible thing you've ever done. And when you hear repent, there's a sense of guilt, and there's a sense of shame, and there's so much of a burden that goes with that. Now, God can use that. He can absolutely use that. But, but our issue with the word repent for many of us is we stop there. We stop there. And, and then for, for maybe others of you, it's tied to a little bit of what I just said. There's just incredible remorse. See, there is a reluctance inside all of us when it comes to repentance. And the reason why is because we have this, this definition of it that stops at this stage where we just feel lost. That if somebody has to say to me, repent, it, that can be more discouragement than encouragement because I can get stopped and I, get, I can get stopped by it. And I can begin to feel like, am I lost? Am I going the wrong direction? We get stuck there. We absolutely get stuck there. There was a youth trip one year we were on, maybe five, six years ago. We were in Chicago. We were at Wrigley Field at the Cubs game. And my wife had to fly back early for work. And so I I just, being the um, incredibly concerned husband that I am, I put her into an Uber, okay? I put her into an Uber to go to the airport. And, and, she, she had agreed to it. I didn't, like, push her in or anything like that. And, you know, you can just, you can watch the location on your phone. You know, where's it at? And so it's taking her to the airport. And we got the youth group back to the hotel. And I'm sitting there at the hotel. And I saw where the airport was, and this dot was moving past the airport. Okay, and I don't know if you've ever been in a, in a city, uh, just a different city, that's it's not your normal surroundings, and you don't really know your way around. That gets terrifying, the, the idea that you or someone you love is lost. So I'm watching this dot, and I'm going, it should have stopped at the airport, but it just keeps going northwest. It's like heading further and further out of Chicago. Now, can you imagine if at that point I just went, oh, well. I mean, would you do that if it was one of your loved ones? Could you imagine if Kara's in the car, she realizes, oh, we, we passed the airport. 
oh, well, let's just go, let's see where this leads. Could you imagine? No, so I called her, and uh, I shouldn't have called her, actually, because that was, that was terrifying for me to hear what came through the phone, and, because I just am thinking, where, where is my bride? Where is she going? They, they've passed the airport. Turned out that the address that we put in there, there are two of that address, and one, one letter, one letter, I can't remember if it was north or south or east or west, meant all the difference. It meant miles and miles and miles apart. Well, we got that figured out. Um, and I, I just thought that that's what we do. We would never, we would never just look at a, a lost loved one going in the wrong direction and go, oh, well. And yet when it comes to our definition of repentance, we stop there, don't we? It's like we walk away. We go, oh, I avoid the word repent because it's just, I don't like what it says. I, I don't like where that lands. So I just want to avoid it. And so I want to, take you for a moment this morning through, normally I like to camp out on like one passage, but I want us to just kind of walk through some of the riches of scripture. Because when you start to get beyond your own definition of repentance, this great back to that is just echoed throughout scripture, you get to God's definition of repentance. And when you begin to pay attention to how God uses the word repent, it should just absolutely explode your definition of repentance. When you see it, it becomes a word that you don't run from. You don't shy away from. But oftentimes, we think like Job thinks. Listen to Job chapter 42, verse 6. He's, he has questioned God, and God has answered him. And then God turns to Job, and he says, now, now you've questioned me. Now you're going to answer me, mere mortal. And here's what he says. Job says, after realizing what he's done, he goes, therefore, I despise myself and I repent in dust, dust and ashes. And that's, that's where we land with repentance. But that, that would be to overlook what comes next in the story of Job. And that would be to overlook what comes throughout scripture as we look through all that God says repentance is. In fact, when you get through what God says repentance is, you understand why Jesus began his ministry right there. Because ultimately what Jesus is getting at when he uses the word repent is not just a reminder of maybe going the wrong direction. It's not just remorse that is his end goal. His end goal is relationship. That when he saw that you're moving a different direction, when you realize you're moving a different direction, he says, I want the relationship. I want to get you back. I want to bring you back to me. And so the first, the first nuance of repentance has to be this emphasis that you see in Scripture, rejoicing. And if your Bibles are open, you can, you can turn to each of these with me, or you can just stay in Matthew chapter 4 because we'll come back to it. But Paul says it in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. He says, as it is, I rejoice. He's writing to the church at Corinth. And he had to write them a harsh, harsh first letter. And now he's talking about what he had to write to him. And he says, I rejoice not because you were grieved. Did you catch that? I rejoice not because you were grieved. My goal was not for you to feel bad. My goal was not for you to feel bad and just stop there in the grieving and the mourning and the weeping and the wailing and the burden of it. Not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. That is changing direction. That is, when you realize that you've passed the airport and your Uber driver is taking you far beyond it, 
that you say something, you do something to get that car turned around and to come back in the right direction. For you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. Now, that's just Paul. If you want to go to the Gospels of, of Jesus, Luke chapter 15 is maybe the most incredible picture of this. You remember? There's a lost sheep. Lost sheep. And what do we, what do we see? Jesus talks about it. He says, let's, let's suppose a sheep wanders off. So the shepherd goes after it. And what does he say? When he finds the sheep, he puts it on his shoulders and he says, rejoice with me. Rejoice with me. You know, this sheep was wandering and, and now I've gotten it back. We've changed direction. Let, let's say a woman loses a coin and she sweeps the whole house looking for it. She finds it. And what does she do? She throws a party. I mean, you've gotten that, right? You remember finding, I, I don't know. I mean, many of us walk by pennies. I still get excited when I find one on the pavement, okay? But, or you've maybe once in a while had that incredible experience of like a dollar in your jean pockets. Yeah, I was excited about that till our daughter found like a $20 bill in her jeans. And I went, you're giving me pennies and she's getting 20s. What is going on? But, you know, you, you get it. You want to throw a party. And she says, rejoice with me. Now, that's a sheep and a coin. But Luke chapter 15, where does Jesus go with it? Suppose a man has two sons. And one son says, I want my inheritance. I want to get out of here. He goes to a faraway land, squanders his wealth and wild living. He comes back. He's got this plan, and he doesn't even get the plan out. His father sees him from a distance, runs out to him. And what does he say? He says, celebrate with me. Let's throw a feast. And, and later when he's talking to, to the, the older brother of this lost son, who's so upset that this, this kid would get a party, he says, we have to celebrate because he was lost. He was going in a lost direction. And it, he's back. See, there's a rejoicing emphasis to it. But see, a lot of times, you know what I think we do? And we do this, we can do this as the church, but it, maybe it's because we think this is how God welcomes us back. We think he's sitting there going, it's about time. Look where you've been. Where have you been? And, and can't we do that? We can go there mentally. And so repentance is not just a reminder. It, it doesn't just bring remorse. You, you look through scripture and you see there's a rejoicing to it. Not, not just from, not just at the earthly level, but in, in the heavenly realms, there's rejoicing. Well, our definition is about to get a little bit bigger because you continue to look through scripture. And you, you realize it's, it's a repetitive thing. See, a lot of times we think of a one-time thing and we think it's excruciating, don't we? Listen to, listen to or think about Peter. I mean, you read, you read the accounts of Peter in the Gospels. And I have this theory that one day Jesus is probably going to put all of us, especially preachers, in a room with Peter. And, and Peter's just going to be able to, like, go back at us. Because we just use Peter as an example all the time. Like, he didn't get it. He's going the wrong direction. How did that go over his head? If I was there, I totally would have gotten it. Peter, you moron. <laughs> Can't wait to meet Peter one day. But anyhow, how many times... Is Peter having to come back and come back? And Jesus have to bring Peter back and bring him back. And sometimes it's tender. And sometimes it's gentle. And other times it, it seems harsh. 
but it's repetitive. It's repetitive. It's one of those things where if you only do it once, you, you continue to dread it. But if it's a repetitive thing, you begin to understand that this is part of God's love for us. That he gave us this command. He gave us this, this act of repentance for our own good. Paul, there's that incredible, incredible passage in Romans chapter 7. Paul, writing to the Romans, he says, you know the things, the things that I, I know I shouldn't do? I do. Things I know I should do? I don't do them. Now, what I've always found so fascinating <clears throat> is when Paul wrote Romans. I mean, that sounds like, in our minds, the way we think, that can sound like, oh, he must have been a new Christian when he wrote that. But you read Romans, it's very clear. Paul has been walking with and inspired by God. In fact, it, many believe that it's between 20 and 25 years after Jesus got a hold of Paul's life that he wrote this sentence. Still, 20 to 25 years later, the things I, I know I should do, I don't do. The things I shouldn't do, I do. And so there's a continual coming back. Lord, I'm going to turn around. I'm going to turn around. I'm coming back. King David, King David, I think he was up on the slide before any of these, but King David, I mean, just read through the Psalms over and over and over and over again. You know, we, we often know David as a man after God's own heart, but over and over, you just read repentance. The, the Psalms drip with repentance. Over and over, he's lamenting, and then he's returning, and he's coming back to God. And, and you, there are some psalms you'll read, and it's just like he's in the pit of despair, and yet many, many psalms, you know where they end? Lord, I'm back. And not because I made my way back, because you brought me back. My repentance was simply responding to you nudging my heart, softening my heart, to stop going in the wrong direction. 28 different books of the Bible use the word repentance. In the Greek, it's a word metanoia. That is to turn, to change direction. 28 different books. Think about that. Think about how many different situations that is. How many different times in history that is. Over and over, it's a repetitive thing. It's a coming back and a coming back and a coming back. I mean, just think about it. Think about it in terms of your relationships. You know, do you, husbands, men, do we, do we apologize once and then years later when, if your wife's upset with you, do, do you just say, well, I apologized seven years ago? I mean, that was good enough, right? If you've tried that, you've only tried it once, I guarantee. You know, when you exercise, you know, a lot of times I, I laugh at myself even because I get really, really, really motivated. I want to go exercise. And so I'll go exercise and I'll put bit of it. If you were to notice God constantly stirring and, and, and just um, nudging the heart, we'd realize it's a repetitive thing. It's a thing that we go through and we do over and over. And, and, and lastly, repent, comma. Listen to this out of Malachi or Malachi, as I used to tell the youth, just to see if I could get them to pronounce it that way for the rest of their lives and say, that's my influence right there, Malachi. All right, Malachi, chapter 3, verse 7. Return to me. That is, come back to. Come back. Return to me, and I will return to you. Do you know what God's 
doing right there? See if you pick up on it again in the New Testament, in James chapter four, verse eight, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Do you wanna know what God does with repentance? He rewards it with himself. He says, look, 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 if, if you'll just turn to me, I'm there for you. The interesting thing about even looking at the Hebrew of this in the bottom, back to, you know what he says? He says, I'm here. You have my presence as a reward. You want to know why? And for the kingdom of heaven has come near. For the kingdom of heaven has come near. In other words, you repent. You turn toward me. You don't just have my presence. You have my kingdom. See, a lot of times, you know what we think of? We think of individual. We think very individually. If I repent, then um, I'll turn. I'll be saved. You know, my sins are forgiven. I'll, I'll spend eternity with Jesus. That is a great, big, huge thing we can't even comprehend. But in the meantime, a lot of us think, oh, I just got to be a good boy and a good girl until then. And Jesus says, no, 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 repent. And there is a kingdom life. There's a kingdom life that I reward it with. You actually can enjoy a different way of living. And it will give you much deeper joy and peace and lasting joy and peace than just individually saying, ah, well, I'm going to be reminded of what I've done and then I'm going to feel bad. And then I'll just live the rest of my life like that. He says, there's so much more. So no wonder Jesus began right there. You know what he's getting at? <clears throat> there is always a return on repentance. There is always a return on repentance. You thought you lost something. He says, no, 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 you get something. Does that line up <clears throat> with our definition of repentance? Not often, does it? He says, look, 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 you go back to him and something comes back to you. And it's not just the kind of limited blessings that we can imagine. He says, you get me. You get my kingdom. There's a man named Wilbur Reese. Wilbur Reese, he wrote a book in 1971 on the heels of the uh, civil rights movement. And it was a book called Three Dollars worth of God. Some of you may have read it. Three dollars worth of God. And here's what Wilbur Reese says in there. He says, a lot of times we treat faith in Jesus. We treat things like repentance. We treat things like going to church, like reading the Bible, like prayer, like serving one another, as though we just want to, in exchange, get three dollars worth of God. Here's what he says. He, he imagines this conversation with somebody. He says, I'd like to buy $3 worth of God. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep. Just enough to equal a cup of warm milk or a snooze in the sunshine. Not enough to love a black man or work alongside a migrant worker. I want ecstasy, not transformation. Warmth of the womb, not a new birth. A pound of the eternal in a paper sack. I'd like to buy $3 worth of God, please. And I read that, and I just thought, man, that's what we do. This is what we do. This is how we think of repentance. And yet Jesus saw fit to start right there. 
So at the end of five weeks, on this simple phrase, back to, back to, back to the future, what does it look like for you? Anyway, we've talked about the idea that God is for you, that connect with Jesus, part of our mission. We've talked about that walking, getting back to walking next to, the connect with people, part of our mission. And we've talked about looking around you, that connect people with Jesus, part of our mission. But you know what I, you know what I stand here and I'd say, and maybe you're thinking, Nathan, we should have started here week one. My bad, okay? But what about back to him? What about a heart that just says, Lord, I'm back. I'm back. Because see, without that, we could try to connect with Jesus, but we won't get very far. But when we say, Lord, I'm back. I'm coming back to you. As the prodigal son did, he came to his senses and he realized how far the other direction he'd gone. And he said, I'm gonna go back to my father. Just just that back to right there begins to illuminate everything. You know what you'll find? You'll open his word and things will begin to jump off the page. Maybe you haven't, you haven't talked to him in a long time and, and it's simply for you, it's just, Lord, I'm back. And I'm back for the first time in a long, long time. Maybe it's a, with the church, you're looking around you. And you're going, man, after the last year and a half, <laughs> There's been a lot that I don't want to walk next to. But when you say to him, Lord, I'm back, you know what happens? He begins to soften your heart. And, and suddenly the people who saw, you know, the political issues and the social issues and the, uh, the enemies of your sports team like Ohio State, you begin to see them a little bit differently, you know? Um, that's not my sports team. I'm terrified that you think, no, no it's, a, it's one of those where you go, yeah, I don't, I don't see them in those categories. They're brother and sister. They're a child of God. And you begin to walk out the doors. And after you've said, God, I'm coming back to you. You know, you begin to see some things around you that you didn't see before. You begin to look around. We began this message with the idea of the word run. Run. And it's interesting, if you think about run, if, uh, if we're dealing with <clears throat> the dictionary, you know what the word run is? It's information. It's definitions. If you're dealing with a computer, the word run is a command. You know, if you're being chased down the street, the word run probably has to do with fear. If your dog gets out, the word run is pursuit. It's chasing something you love and getting it back. If you're... If you're dealing with the police, the word run might be associated with criminal activity. If you're talking about politics, run has to do with an office, a position, an election. Last night, I was with a couple friends at the Air Force Wyoming football game. If you're standing outside the, uh, the food truck that I saw, taco burger, that's a different kind of run, isn't it? Yeah. And I'm not going any further with that because that was already too far, okay? <laughs> If you're at a gas station, run is fuel, what your car runs on. That's the word run. And in the same way, maybe the context of a word has everything to do with who's using it. And so this word repent, that word repent, 
It wasn't given to us by a dictionary. It wasn't given us to us by a, by a biographer tracking down and, and marking and tallying our lives. It wasn't given to us by a judge, jury, and executioner. It was given to us by a heavenly father. And it was given to us by a savior. And it was given to us by a king who said, repent. Because there's always a return on repentance. But he didn't say it that way. He said, repent, comma. Not repent, period. End of story, end of discussion. Repent, comma, for the kingdom is near. Can you imagine that return for a repentant heart? There's always a return on repentance because of who gave it to us. A father, a king, a savior. And so as we wrap up, back to, I'd invite you in the coming weeks to join us because one of the back twos I believe with all my heart is one of the best things we could get back to, and I know we talk about this every single week, is the word of our heavenly father because it is filled with his riches. I mean, this is one word that when you look at how it's used, it should just explode our definitions. It should give us wide eyes to see his incredible, incredible love for us and one another and those around us to carry out our mission. And so we're going to be going through a book of the Bible, but we're not just going through a book of the Bible. In the coming weeks, I, I, want, I want us to, to learn, maybe for the first time, maybe for the first time in a long time, how do you chew on, how do you study, how do you dig in to his word? So it's not just one meal once a week on a Sunday morning, but every single day we're nourished by it and nourished by it and nourished by it. And so... That all begins with this back to, Lord, I'm back. There's an incredible return on repentance. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, we know. We know that you are a God who is far more patient with us than we even understand, than we even realize. And so I ask this morning, Lord, as we just look at one word throughout your word, would you illuminate it for us? Would you stir us this week to dig into that word? That when you said repent, it wasn't to stop us at a reminder. It wasn't to make us reluctant. It wasn't to just make us stop at remorse. But it was to expand our definition to know that you, you say it because you want to you wanna give us a return on that. Lord, show us in our hearts that you rejoice over it. Give us the strength to repeatedly come back to it. And Lord, let it be something that we just so know in our hearts that you reward it with the greatest thing we could ever possibly have, your presence. We thank you for this reminder this morning. Soften our hearts. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.